Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans. This week, I have two special co-hosts with me. Ben Bradshaw, I'm a cyber specialist. I am uh, Paul Jordan, cyber officer in the Air Force. Speaking of our special guests, Paul Jordan here is a member of the MCPA who will be hosting a CTF event from July 25th to the 26th. SciDef will be hosting the event and will be doing a live stream of the event. Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about the MCPA and the event as well? Sure, thanks. Hi, so the, uh, so the MCPA is the Military Cyber Professionals Association. We're a nonprofit organization dedicated to the development of the military cyber profession um, and investing in our nation's future through STEM outreach. The CTF is uh, our first big event, and uh, we thought it'd be a great way to get out into the community and teach a little cybersecurity as well as uh, allow professionals in the community to test their, their skills that they already know. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a CTF is, uh, we'll expose a range full of vulnerable machines, and competitors will try and break into the machines and obtain uh, strings, uh, also known as flags, that will be worth points. Throughout the event, we'll have various mini-games and cyber trivia, and, uh, cool things like that. Uh, we're really looking forward to the event. Sounds fantastic. I can't wait to do the opening speech, and I can't wait to walk around and talk to the competitors as they compete and try to win prizes that we have in store for them. But yeah, if you're interested, just go to mcpa-stl.org. You can also go to ctf.mcpa-stl.org if you want to go directly to the CTF page. We will be putting that in our show notes as well. We at SciDef are here to provide you with cybersecurity news that matters to help you stay safe in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the PodBros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. On this week's episode, we've got LastPass got hacked, change your master passwords now, and a massive security flaw puts 600 million Samsung smartphones at risk. This week, our other stories will be brought to us by our special co-host, Ben Bradshaw. What do you got for us, Ben? Well, I've got the cybercrime is uh, paying up upwards of 1,425% uh, return on investments, and then we've got no end in sight for exposed Internet of Things or uh, other devices. Sounds good. Our first story of the week, LastPass got hacked. Change your master password now. Recently, LastPass saw a breach in their security. Investigations found no evidence that encrypted user vault data was taken. However, user accounts were accessed. The investigation showed, however, that LastPass account email addresses, password reminders, server per user salts, and authentication hashes were compromised. LastPass is advising all their users to change their passwords immediately, especially if their master password was used on another website as a password. Which is like every user. <laughs> this is my super secure password that I'm going to use. The company is requiring all users who log into their service from a new device or IP to verify their identity via email or two-factor authentication to ensure that it's not a hacker attempting to break into their account. LastPass says it's protecting its users' hashes with 100,000 rounds of SHA-256 cryptography. And with this heavy cryptography that's being used, it will take an attacker a very, very, very long time to be able to crack a complex password. However, if you have that favorite password of yours that everybody else has, 
as in password one, two, three, four, or a keyboard walk, which allows you to easily remember your password. It's most likely going to be in a rainbow dictionary, and it's not going to take very long to crack that password. LastPass, however, says that they're confident that their encryption methods are sufficient to protect a vast majority of their users. One of the big problems that came out with this story is that users were very disgruntled with the way that they were notified about this breach. Many users did not get a single notification from LastPass about this breach. Instead, they saw it from friends on Facebook or noticed something was odd when they were locked out of their accounts when they tried to access their accounts from other devices. What do you guys think about this? Yeah, I think that the you know the integrity of the, these companies doing their their notifications is getting better, but it's definitely not where it needs to be. Especially like a company like this that needs to be instantaneous. That that should be one of the first things that they should have done. I thought that was pretty interesting that they didn't say anything. I agree. A company that's there to protect people's integrity, having no integrity, is uh, kind of rough. <laughs> I, th- I think it's kind of interesting, like these these uh, these last pass and and all this stuff. It's it's a great concept, but I think the like the underlying issue. Uh, so recently, I went through and updated all of my passwords, like I do occasionally, and it's it's amazing to me how many websites still don't allow you to have a, a complex password because they're afraid of getting SQL injected or or some other you know thing that they should just be focusing on uh, instead of shortening the passwords like Schwab by investment account a six or eight character ma- maximum password uh, and no special characters they won't allow you so you can request this uh, token uh, from Schwab but it's it's really hard to do and it takes a couple days to come and you know your average user isn't going to do that I noticed recently they enabled the touch ID if you have an iPhone but again how many people are going to turn that on and this is like an investment account this is where people keep their life savings you know the touch ID is an interesting concept to me. What's to say that somebody won't be sitting and performing a man in the middle on somebody and take that that unique signature from the touch ID and perform a replay attack? So I think the idea is that there's the secure element. It's like a completely separate chip, and it's chip-level encryption, too. So if the encryption's done right when it's transmitted, it's not something that you can repeat, right? Gotcha. But you did bring up an excellent point about you changing your passwords regularly. A lot of organizations require their workers to change their passwords on a monthly or 60 to 90 day basis type thing. And that's something that users should be taking home with them and they should be implementing on their home accounts, their home computers, their home devices. It helps protect you in the long run to constantly be changing your passwords. Yes, it may be a headache, but it's a headache that's going to keep you from having your bank account suck dry. Yeah, that's that's definitely one of the things that I think we need to, as a community, focus on. You know, we talked about it at the the, the cybersecurity conference a couple weeks ago. It's like a nationwide, you know, really education from the ground, uh, building it into the pipeline, you know, starting to teach people these kinds of fundamentals early on. I agree. Two-factor authentication is also uh, a big thing as well. Um, Google offers a one-time password service for apps now. So if you have an app that gives you the option of implementing the Google one-time password service, it's completely free from Google and you should definitely use that service to your advantage. Two-factor authentication, something you know, something you have, will greatly increase your security posture and ultimately keep you safe. Yeah, I noticed uh, iOS 9 is actually implementing a lot more uh, two-factor authentication when they're coming up. Yeah, I just want to kind of go back to Touch ID real quick, too. I, I don't I don't think that it's perfect. You know, it definitely has its flaws, but it's definitely better than, you know, having no protection at all, I think. Better than password one, you know. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> or last number, number one password used still. Like, right. come on, people. Yeah. Speaking of security and protection, we've said this many times on our show. Do not use public Wi-Fi hotspots. Public Wi-Fi hotspots can be a huge trap. And one good example of how they can be a huge trap is with a brand new flaw that was discovered in the Samsung Galaxy S3, S4, S5, and S6, as well as the Galaxy Note 3 and 4. These devices come pre-installed with the Swift keyboard app as the default keyboard. This keyboard has a flaw in it which allows individuals who are sitting upstream performing a man-in-the-middle attack to be able to get system-level privileges, one level right below root privileges. A good thing about this flaw is that it can only be implemented on the device if you're on a public Wi-Fi hotspot that's a rogue hotspot. So I think they said there were other ways, right? So you, you can, if you perform a DNS hijacking um, or you're on the network and you're art poisoning it, so even if your network is secured and someone else is on your network and they're authenticated, they can man-in-the-middle you. I'm also wondering about the man-in-the-middle aspect of, uh, so my brother and I, we've set up a few repeaters for cell phone towers for businesses that have, uh, say, a steel building that need you know, extra service to their, their workers. And would it not be possible for someone to do something like that where they've got a, a device that allows them to man in the middle the actual cell phone data itself? Yeah. So I've, I've actually done some research on the GSM uh, standard lately because I was doing some uh, Wi-Fi standards. So you know, people don't realize that their wife, like their phones are beaconing, you know, their MAC address all the time and letting people know where they are. Um, so I was, you know, the cell signal does the exact same thing. And uh, I was reading into how to hack GSM so you can, I mean, do that and amongst other things, you know. Uh, right. Really surprisingly pretty easy. Sorry. So, yeah, uh, hacking GSM, you, you really don't need to hack GSM when it costs about $100 to build your own private base station to carry around in a backpack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are devices that you can purchase, and there is software that you can utilize that will allow you to create a, a cell phone base station to intercept other people's network traffic. Right. So, yeah, I guess hack is a, is a bad word. I meant, like, uh, be able to process and understand the GSM protocols. Gotcha. Right. Using the same idea. Yeah. yeah. The bad thing about the security flaw, however, is that A, it's not patched yet, and B, you cannot uninstall the Swift keyboard from the device. It is a keyboard that is bloatware, essentially. Samsung bloatware? It's, <laughs> it's one of those apps that comes pre-installed, and no matter what you do, you can't uninstall it. I have NFL Mobile on my phone. I'm completely screwed if it turns out that NFL Mobile app uh, has a vulnerability in it. So there's a lot of talks that have been going on about unlocking individuals' phones and allowing them the ability to delete all of these pre-installed um, apps and software that come on the phone. Um, there's a lot of push right now happening. I know in South Korea, cell phone companies now are actually being ordered to allow all brand new cell phones to uninstall all the bloatware apps that come on the, the devices themselves. So I think, I think the big pushback you're going to see there is from the manufacturers because you know that's hurting their bottom line. You know the only reason they put that on there is because they're getting a cut from NFL every time they, they ship a phone. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. That's, and they've got more money and more power in, in lobbies all over the place. That Yeah, that's going to be tough. This is a huge issue that we've been seeing in devices that are on the mainstream market now. We've seen it with uh, routers, now cell phones, um, yeah, it's, Internet, it's not, Internet of Thing devices. It's just 
developers design the software and developers are not thinking about security first. Well, I, I don't know about that. So I would say two things. You know, so this isn't a new problem. We, we saw this on you know, Windows years ago, the, the, the software that ships with the machines. I mean, this, this, happened, this comes up all the time. I'll defend the developers real quick because I used to be one. You know, they're under a lot of pressure to get software shipped on time, and you know, security doesn't necessarily affect their bottom line immediately, just like anybody else. And that's that's exactly what I was saying. They oh. they, they don't think security first. They bottom think, line first. They well, think bottom line okay. pushing it out first. Okay. It's well, not their fault they're thinking bottom line first. They're pushed. Right, right. And that's where that's where I think the problem is. Where's the root of this problem? And that's management doesn't understand when they're telling their developers to get it out. I mean, I I I said the software that I I did I've developed. It was, you know, hey, there's there are problems with this. We we need to get this fixed, and they're like, oh, we'll worry about that later. We just need the functionality right now. We can patch it. Right, right. And a lot of times those patches don't come about, though. Or they do, but you, you're in the position of, like, a major corporation, you know, they might deploy a gold disk, and uh, by the time they get that gold disk approved and deployed and installed, it's already behind, and now you're putting this equipment on the network that still needs to be patched, but, but it, we know it's vulnerable, <laughs> It's been three weeks, at least three weeks, you know, since we built this image and got it approved and tested and all that. But sometimes it can be months. And and furthermore, the users, uh, not in the say, you know, a cor big corporation like that, they just don't even think about, hey, I need to be looking at updating my stuff all the time. When a vulnerability is, when I see a vulnerability for the app I'm using, they don't think about that. It's working. Why would I update it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just hear that. I hear that a lot. I hear a lot of people talking a lot about trash about developers. And I, and I think, you know, everyone's responsible, but at the end of the day... At the end of the day, you're responsible. <laughs> you developers. <laughs> so, we've been talking about the, the devices having vulnerabilities when they're shipped, and developers are not at fault for it. It's the, <laughs> the push they get from, from management. However... From that push, there's more and more Internet of Thing items that are showing up on the market that are having huge security holes on networks. There's no end in sight for exposed Internet of Things and other devices. Tell us about that, Ben. So Project Sonar, which is a Rapid7 backed community project, they're, they're constantly somewhat scanning just the Internet somewhat for exposed devices that are exploitable. Uh, not that they're exploiting them, but they're just exploitable. And that's just to bring the realization that you're you're putting devices on the, on the network thinking that they're yours on your network. But your device is connected to your network, which is connected to the Internet, and then you have a problem. Um, the issue is that more and more devices are they're wanting to input features that are internet internet ready and because of these features being internet ready anybody can jump in there and and do whatever they want to them so uh, the issue is we're seeing more and more internet of things devices and it's going up a lot but we're seeing them in cities too so uh, I was looking at a story about San Jose California they're pushing for a city center center of modern computer industry, so they want to see Internet of Things things devices on top of you know street lights, checking for, say, a gunshot within so many feet, and they'll respond to it, things like that. And I see that being, while it's cool and everything like that, who's pushing out the updates all the time? I mean, is this just another attack vector that can be leveraged to 
to be an issue real soon. Yes, yes, it can. Um, another thing that this research had pointed out was the security holes and home routers as well that have been shipped. Every week on SIDEF, we are talking about home routers being hit. It is a huge issue. ISPs are putting out these routers to home users who aren't knowledgeable on how to secure the devices. They're not properly educated on how to do it, and ISPs really aren't providing the education that is needed to be able to secure it. You know, something simple like a, a brochure or a pamphlet or something like that. A lot of times, the guys will just come to your house, set up the router and the router slash modem, check it, and then say, have a good day, and, and leave. Yeah, I was, uh, I was looking in that, that story where... We're seeing that these there's a German uh, Fritzbox router that one in twelve Germans are using, and uh, these these routers are very very vulnerable. Um, that they were coming up constantly in this uh, project sonar. I I think you know like you were saying Ben like there's a lot of really cool stuff that these things offer. I think that you know the I don't know the the young guy in me says yeah we need to st let's let's as a security community figure out how to secure this stuff. I think too often we. We're quick to say, no, no, just take it off. We can't do that. Um, oh, I, I don't want to get rid of them. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. I want my house to be Internet of Things ready. <laughs> I just want I just want to see the security implementation first rather than the device put in. Sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, but I think that, you know, a lot of people in our community would say immediately, you know, and I've heard it a lot, you know, well, well, they just can't have that or we just can't do that. I, I don't think the answer should be we can't or they can't, it should be, well, let's figure it out together, you know, and, and we'll make you aware of all of the risks uh, yes. associated with what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't want to see um, Hacker Chick from Green Arrow saying, all right, I'm going to attack, hack the city network, and in two, you know, two keyboard strokes, she's like, I'm in. <laughs> that's, that's what I don't want to see. Yeah. Most of the security issues with those, or a lot of them, yeah, I will say most of them, have been the user's. Let's leave the password default. Let's just plug it in and play. Yeah, and I think that goes back to what Paul was discussing earlier about educating users sooner and, you know, at a lower level, you know, implementing it into basic school education and stuff like that, um, yeah. get it, getting knowledge out there. Because once we do get that knowledge out there and once we as a community teach people what is proper and what isn't proper, basic network security etiquette, um, a lot of those issues will disappear. You can perform war driving and war drive for a mile and you will find hundreds of Wi-Fi access points and you can go through those access points and find web still. It's insane. Yeah, but we're, we get better every day, so you know you're gonna see it a lot less wide open, and you'll see a lot less web than you did five years ago. I I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh no, I, I agree, but I'm just saying as of right now, um, sure, there are still people doing this, and we need to, we need to get the the education out there. We do. Yeah. So I heard it said recently uh, that you know you, you teach your kid to look both ways before you cross the street. Why aren't we teaching our kids you know to use safe passwords and and things like that? And it really does. I think it starts at the ground up. We, we we really need to just build it into the culture. I think our community is really good at getting on in venues like this or, or conferences and, yeah, these things are all messed up and, yeah, people are, users are stupid and and we should teach them and then it ends there and <laughs> and five years later we're still complaining about it. Well, that's why I produce this podcast is <laughs> hopefully 
somebody will see a tweet or somebody will hear about it from a friend and they will be a little bit more educated about it. These home router flaws, like I said before, every week we're discussing them. And some of them are really, really weird and far out there reasons why uh, these flaws are appearing. For example, um, just a couple of weeks ago, there was a net USB flaw that hit a lot of Netgear routers, millions and millions of Netgear routers. And the flaw came about because of people trying to get access to the router with a computer name who was 64 characters or longer. And then it, it opened a backdoor for them and port 25,000 opened up and gave them access directly into the, the, the network and the, the GUI to be able to, to change all of the configurations of the router. So some of these are things that you know developers aren't looking at. Some of these things are user errors that need to be looked at, and then some of them are just really far out there glitches in the in the programs that nobody could even predict. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to predict, hey, I'm going to try to jump onto this router with a 65-character uh, computer name and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I think that, and, I, and we're going to go back to the developers again, you know. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I wasn't hating. <laughs> uh, but I think that, you know, that that's not, not necessarily an issue with, like, well, we weren't expecting a 65-character long computer name. It was just, if you do get more than 65 characters, it was handled improperly. And I haven't read any of the details, but I'm sure that, that had something to do with it. Yeah, it did. The The router basically didn't know how to handle it and then we just open up the, the port for them. Basic, basically like Mac flooding where you just flood a table with Mac addresses until it becomes a switch. <laughs> so with all the talk about attackers taking advantage of things, why are they doing it? Well, it turns out that cybercrime can give attackers 1,425% return on investment and to me that sounds like a pretty good investment. Why don't you tell us about it, Ben? Okay, so... Here's here's the issue with the the cybercrime thing. Basically, cybercrime specialists, I will call them, that are developing the ability or a platform for uh, Joe Schmo to launch a attack. Basically, investing into a campaign, and by the end of the campaign, he can end up with the 1,425 estimated return. So we're looking at the developer's costs after it's all said and done being about 5900 to launch the attack. And after it's all said and done, a person can see a return of about 84100 on that investment. And so it, it's all done with uh, ransomware, which is essentially you're seeing encryption uh, of your files. And uh, they, they basically install ma malware, encrypt your files, and, and say, hey, pay us money. And then you may or may not get your key. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we've seen a lot of the the ransomware and crypto locker type stuff hitting um, some people, and a lot of these hackers aren't being dissuaded from performing these attacks, especially when attacks such as the ones that have been happening against police stations are turning a profit for the attackers. It's a, it's insane that sad that some of these some of these hacks are actually occurring against law enforcement. And then they demand Bitcoin in return, and then the law enforcement actually pays up. It's it's sad because, like uh, Paul was saying, you may or may not see your key in return. It's it's not guaranteed. This this is just a he's not a business. He's he's a criminal, and he's got 
tons of other people that are requesting the keys, you may be the one that gets forgotten about. That's that's what it comes down to. They only see a payout rate of 0.5% to get that $90,000 total gross profit. Yes, yeah, so that's what's so great about the, the internet, right? You can hit millions of people. So I, I kind of think this is a, I mean, it's a really terrible thing, but maybe this is the kind of thing that the our industry kind of needs, you know, maybe we need this this type of thing to drive people to be more conscious about their their security. You know, we we, we always say, you know, it's what's it going to take, you know, for people to wake up and start thinking about this stuff? Is it going to take like a catastrophic, you know, event like a black swan event? Hopefully not. Hopefully people wake up after seeing stuff like this. Oh, I just lost all of my pictures and all of my family photos, you know. A big they should start taking the security stuff a little more seriously. Yeah, a big banner saying in, in big red letters, your personal fires, files are encrypted by CTB Locker. Yeah, I think that might, that might do it. <laughs> some of the users, however, you know, um, we've talked about this before on the show, some of the users who are victims of this don't necessarily know that they're victims of hackers. These hackers will attempt scare tactics, such as the, the FBI warning or the, the law enforcement warning, where the crypto locker hits their computer and then a, a big banner pops up saying, looking very official too, having the seals, having very well put together text that has subsections of laws on there, you know, referencing articles and codes and stuff like that, stating that you performed some illegal action or you looked at some sort of illegal content on the internet and now your computer's been uh, encrypted and that the law enforcement will forgive you and waive all charges as long as you pay them $300. And they will give you the, they'll, they'll give you the encryption key back. And um, some of the cybercrime that's occurring, people don't even know that they have cybercrime occurring to them. Yeah, well, that's just regular old fraud. You know, that, I don't know. It, to me, if there's no phone number listed, somebody to call and talk to, and even right. then, that's, they could get real advanced with it and set up a call center. I mean, it's a pretty good business. I'd, you know, $90,000 in a month, that's, they could definitely get a call center going. Yeah. This goes into the, the training of people as well, though. Um, people need to learn social engineering, what social engineering looks like, and how to prevent themselves from becoming a victim. I mean, a lot of people know the joke about the Nigerian prince. <laughs> Nigerian prince has hundreds of millions of dollars for you. All you have to do is cash this check for $5,000 and send him the money back, and, you know, everything's good. Um, <laughs> but people still fall for the Nigerian prince scam today, and it's kind of sad. These are, these are things that we, again, need to, to educate people on. Good thing, though, is that there are security companies that are putting together tools to decrypt your systems because some of these ransomware-type malware that we're seeing will only encrypt small portions of the computer. A lot of the users still access the computer and still do minor things on it, but will lock down certain portions of it. We've posted it before on our Twitter, but we will post it again in our show notes, the link to a tool set to be able to decrypt files from the most famous malware out there that is using uh, cryptography and ransomware type stuff. So another thing about the uh, the fact that this cryptography is working today, I mean, you see your, your hard drive is lost um, to anything else but cryptography, and what do you do? You, I mean, you have to do something. The issue is, is not backing up your hard drive. 
that's what it comes down to. I mean, keep your hard drive backed up. If your hard drive was to fail, truly fail, you may not know what to do to get it, get your data retrieved. You may not know those venues, and and that's an issue. So, at any time, you could have a hard drive fail. At any time, you could have your your stuff get crypt locked. So. Oh, I I totally agree with you there. It's actually a very simple method of being able to stop this in its tracks. It's so I mean, simple. I mean, if you backed up your hard drive weekly, you know, a Sunday night you had a, a program that auto-ran for you and backed up your hard drive, and then Monday or Tuesday or even Thursday you get this crypto locker, all right, I'm just going to reformat my hard drive with the backup. Right. It's even easier than that with, like, the Google Drive and, you know, all of the cloud services that are available. They sync automatically. Yeah, you can keep all of your, you can even so much as keep all of your stuff uh, out there on the on the old cloud. Oh, yeah, and then just have, like, your OS. Yeah. That's all you need. I mean, if you're a gamer, you don't have to worry. Steam's got your back. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's one fantastic example of a service that does their their services right is would be Steam, because if you were to have a, a catastrophic failure, you were to have your system completely encrypted on you, and you reinstall, there's nothing lost. And Windows is actually doing that really well, too, now, with their new Microsoft Office suite. There's a lot of stuff for that suite where you, you buy the key, and you can access all of the services online, like my, my Microsoft Outlook and Word and Excel, all that kind of stuff. I can actually access that all directly from my browser, and I don't have to download a single thing. I would like to see a lot of companies move towards that kind of stuff to be able to help users keep things on the cloud and help them from losing data. Yikes, so I just had a scary thought. Uh, I was thinking about, like, oh, you know, I, I feel safe having my stuff on Google Drive, but then if my system gets compromised and they go and encrypt the stuff on my Google Drive, they or they encrypt that whole folder and then that automatically syncs back to Google Drive. <laughs> well, hopefully they encrypted the uh, the software that serves your Google Drive then? First? Yeah, I don't know. Like, or hopefully Google's <laughs> got some backups. Like, that's that's got me thinking, and now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> yeah, that's, that. That's some research we'll have to look into. <laughs> well, I'm guessing that your Google Drive works uh, works more like a share, and that it's not that it's basically a mounted drive. Yeah, that's it. So it's a mounted, you know, it's mounted in my home di- or yeah, my home directory, and okay. I dump files there, and then the little daemon backs it all up. Okay, so yeah. I I would. I would expect that you're not as vulnerable to that kind of stuff. Well, I don't know. Because I, I was thinking like an attacker. If I were to land on a system, one of the first things I would do is look for, you know, Google Drive or a Dropbox folder and encrypt that. Because then, like I said, it might, you know, the daemon might sit there and, and, uh, and oh, we've got changes in the folder. Let's synchronize them back to the master folder. And now sure. you've overwritten everything in your public or your, like, your central repository. Right, and right. Encrypted. So it's actually it's actually scanning your physical drive and seeing if there's changes then? It just scans that one directory. And now I did read an article um, a couple weeks back that Dropbox was scanning your entire hard drive and offloading things it didn't have any business offloading. <laughs> oh. some, some guy turned Wireshark on and man in the middle himself and saw files that he never gave Dropbox permissions to use or, or touch and... Um, Yep, get, they were getting sent off to Dropbox's public IP, one of their public IPs. So I, I think that day I, I uh, deleted my Dropbox and migrated everything over to my Google Drive. Can't blame you there. Yeah. 
And on that note, we're going to wrap things up here. This week, we covered LastPass getting hacked. And we determined that you really need to change your master password. Right now, LastPass is saying that there isn't a huge risk to your password data, but it's a good idea to change that master password. Massive security flaw puts 600 million Samsung smartphones at risk. You should probably stay off of public Wi-Fi that you don't trust. We also covered... No one in sight for exposed Internet of Things and other devices. Users, developers, and providers of the hardware and software need to work together better to educate one another and help solve these network security problems. And finally, cybercrime can give attackers 1,425% return on investment. I was your host this week, Raymond Evans, and these were my co-hosts. Ben Bradshaw. And Paul Jordan. I want to thank my special co-host. It was excellent having you two on this week. Lots of interesting conversations we had. Lots of good points made. Hope to have you guys on soon. Thanks for everything. Stay safe. Keep your network safe. And have a week. You stay classy.